As we turn our attention to chapter 15 here in the book of Genesis, and if you'd turn there, we're going to take the first five verses. You know, there are a number of things that I think plague the body of Christ. And one of them, in my humble estimation, is that sometimes the body of Christ over-spiritualizes things. We somehow think that because we have walked with the Lord for a number of years or we've grown in our faith, maybe even like me, you might think, you know, well, he's been a pastor for a long, long time. Certainly he wouldn't struggle with faith. Pastor Jeff would never have any doubt Never would I be consumed. Never would someone who's really a follower of Christ ever have a victory and then be as low as a snake's belly in a wagon rut in Death Valley. That's low, by the way. And I think the secret to this we see tonight, and the stage is set really in verse 12, here in chapter 15, of this study I've been entitled, Where is God when nightmares come? When the unthinkable enters your mind? Where's the Lord when you're going through one of those times after a great victory like we saw with Abraham? This man, Abram, who's chosen the high road, he's taken God at his word and he's moved by faith. But now he's got some serious doubt. Was I hearing God? And see, many in the church over spiritualize their emotions. And we're going to see Abram kind of have a couple of issues with God. And tonight I want to set you free. It's okay to have issues with God. It's okay to let him know how you feel. Just make sure you return to the place of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this incredible example of a man whom we know really like no other character in all of scripture, is marked by a life of faith. He's the father of faith. He is the first one about whom it is said that he possesses faith. And yet, he struggled. And so, Lord, we give you our struggles tonight, the things that maybe we're thinking about that we're not quite sure whether you have it under control or not. Maybe there are some tonight that are even questioning your goodness, your plans for their life. And I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen them, encourage, fill our hearts with the wonder of who you are. Bless us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Where is the Lord? Where is God when you go through those dark seasons? Verse 1 here in Genesis 15. And after these things, what things are they? 
this incredible victory where Abram has fought this battle in the plains of the southern Jordan Valley. These kings have come against him. He's defeated them. He's offered, in essence, a bribery. And he said, no, I won't take anything from this world. He's taken the very high road of faith. He said, all I care about is people. I care about what God cares about. I don't need your money. Give us enough food for our journey. He has this tremendous victory in his life. Notice where we find him. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And we're going to see the context of it in verse 12, which we'll not study tonight, but I want to read it for you anyway in a moment. Saying, do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid. I've got this. But Abram doesn't think that God's got this. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? Let me modernize this for you. How in the world is that going to work out? I don't even have a son. And you think that somehow my descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust on the earth? The stars in the sky? Are you kidding me? God, did you like maybe take up drinking? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. You can imagine... And if you're honest with yourself, there's probably not a person in here who's walked with the Lord for any period of time that hasn't had one of these moments in your life. It's like, God, what are you doing? I believed you were doing this. I had this job. Now I don't have that job. We had a house. Now we have no house. My son's in the hospital. He's dying. God, where are you when these things happen? And you see, Abram, like every person in here, though identified with his life of faith, every once in a while had a lapse of faith. So be of good cheer. And let's look at the promises that are made to Abram. What will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? He's almost 130 miles away in the southern end of the Jordan Valley, and Eliezer of Damascus isn't even in his house. It's not his offspring. And then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house that is my heir. You you said you made a promise to me, God. 
but I'm not seeing how you're going to make good on it. Any of you in here ever had that accusation against God? Be honest with yourself, please. I I just don't see how it's going to work out, Lord. I don't know how you're going to pull this one off. And so what happens is you reduce your faith to the level of your own ability to comprehend. You begin to look with the eyes of flesh and not the eyes of faith. You see only the circumstances and not the God of all circumstances. Abram's with you. I'm with you. Done it myself. And so I hope to encourage you tonight. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir. (laughs) You're not going to have to rest and trust in Eliezer of Damascus. That's not what I have planned for you. You may not see how this is going to happen, Abram, but I truly do have this under control. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And about this time, probably all of you are going, I I don't know how I'm going to make my house payment. I don't know how I'm going to pay that medical bill. I I don't know when my husband's coming back, my wife's coming back. I'm not sure when my children are going to return from their prodigal journey. God, I can't see how you're going to do this. And so I'm really not sure whether I actually trust you or not. We gotta be honest on these things, Lord. Lord is wanting to, I believe, work in our lives. And then you brought him outside. I love this. God's always on time, isn't he? But unfortunately, he's rarely early. <laughs> he's never late. But he doesn't always reveal the things that he's going to do before he does them. You ever notice how God doesn't check in with you in the morning? Say, you know, what do you want to do today? Now, he wants you to check in with him, but he does not check in with you to see how he fits into your schedule. You're supposed to check in with him to see how you fit into his schedule. But see, we want the things that we want the way we want them. We don't necessarily want what God is doing in our lives to go the way he wants it to go. We want him to change his mind. Abram was no different. It's like, Lord, I just don't see it. I don't get it. This is craziness here. He took him outside and said, now... Toward heaven, I want you to look. Look now towards heaven. And count the stars if you're able to number them. And so he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And Abram's response, and he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. But I want you to notice something, and though we'll not actually cover it tonight, verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, 
and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. You see, in the face of the promises of God, we are forced to do one of two things. Either believe or not believe. That's it. There's not kind of sort of believing. That's just unbelieving light. There's not kind of sort of rejecting. That's still unbelieving light. We either believe God or we do not believe God. There's no in-between place. And so I want you to see how Abram responds to this. In the midst of this vision experience, in the midst of him not understanding how God is going to accomplish what God has promised to do. You see, here's the truth. When God makes a promise, it's on him to keep it. He cannot lie. He cannot misrepresent He's incapable of doing what humankind does to the rest of humankind, and that's to kind of not tell you the whole story. God's not a deceiver. He's not a liar. He absolutely tells the truth and only the truth. In fact, he is the truth. And so when God makes a promise, he is bound by his own character to do what he said he's going to do even when you can't see how he's going to do it. Even when you don't know where that check's coming from, even when you have no idea if that job's going to materialize. When God says, thus says the Lord, that ends the conversation on his side. It's up to us to believe him or not believe him. But here's what happens. The same thing that happens here to Abram. And I think it's the thing that we have to remember. Abram was human. Abram was a man of faith, but he's human. He has human emotions. He has a human response to this. He understands things from a human perspective. His faith is not perfect. His implementation of the promises of God is certainly not perfect. In other words, he has some growth to undertake. Anybody in here have some growth to undertake in your life? I do. We all do. But here's what happens. You hyper-spiritualize this, and and you begin to sink your own ship. It's like, oh, well, I didn't believe God. No wonder God doesn't do anything for me. And you begin to, to dwell in your failure. You begin to minimize the emotions that you have. And I'm telling you that if you do not acknowledge the fact that you have emotions, you are going to live a very unbalanced life as a believer on this earth. Because you do have emotions. And occasionally they run amok in your life. They may be up here, they may be down here, but you've got them. Some have more than others. Some have very limited emotional response. But I have yet to meet a single human being that does not have emotions. And let me tell you why I believe there are no human beings who do not have emotion. Because God created you in his image 
and he has emotions. We know that the Lord expresses joy. We know that the Lord expresses sorrow. We know that the Lord weeps. We know that the Lord expresses emotional response to things that are serious and where a response from us as human beings is not appropriate. When Jesus viewed the inhabitants of Jerusalem as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, you all know the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why? Because he was sad. He was hurt. He recognized exactly what was happening and he knew that they did not know the hour of his appearing. And so consequently his response was an emotional response. He was hurt. He hurt for you. He hurt for me. He hurt for the children of Israel. And so you were created in God's image. You were created with emotion. Don't forget that. The scriptures are filled with examples of this. You cannot read the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, without understanding that we have been created as emotional beings. And while we should not ever be governed by them, not totally overrun with them, they should not be the determining factor in all that you think and are. You must not ignore them. To do so, you do at your own peril. And here's why. Because you will tend to hyper-spiritualize things or you will dismiss the fact that there's any kind of problem at all. You'll go to one extreme or the other. Your emotions actually will help you find the center if you allow them. Because here's what happens. If you'll turn those emotions to the Lord, you say, God, I'm really sad right now and I don't know why. Can you help me? Then the Lord will help you understand why you feel that way. But if you're simply led by those emotions and now all of a sudden you do, like Abram is apparently about ready to be prone to do, which is you run and hide in fear, then the emotions themselves, instead of the Holy Spirit, govern the way you go. And so God uses those emotions, in essence, as a release for us to be able to have a heart-to-heart talk with God. You know, when I'm mad, here's what happens. It's like, God, I ask God questions I would not normally ask him. It's like, Lord, why is this going like this? Now, if it was just kind of a neutral thing in my life, I'm probably letting it go. I'm just going to, well, it's it's no big deal. Who cares? I won't even talk to God. But because my emotions are stirred, here's what happens. Like, man, this is important. I need to talk to the Lord. So remember that you, like Abram, are human. And you see that faith that you have is supposed to conquer the fear that you will have. And so that you'll have faith in God instead of faith in your feelings. Because your feelings are going to do this. But your God is going to do this. So when you find the ups and downs, 
seek the balanced level where the Lord is able to minister to you in the, in the depths of all of that. We have some crazy examples. First Kings 19 is probably the classic example. You all know the context of the story. Maybe you don't remember exactly the address. But remember, this is the story of Elijah the prophet. Here's the great Elijah the prophet. The one that the children of Israel still look for today. Every Passover meal, there is a place setting set for Elijah. That's how high up on the list he is. But Elijah the prophet, after he goes, he's on Mount Carmel. And here are the prophets of Baal. And they've set up their altar. And they're chanting and beating themselves and cutting themselves. And they're worshiping the god Baal. And Elijah's like, oh no, you're not doing this up here. Just me and God, we got this. And he goes and he finally, he's mocking the prophets of Baal. Where's your God? Is he going to the bathroom? Read the story. Is he going potty? He's mocking him. He says, oh, go ahead and keep chanting. And oh, by the way, I'm dumping water on my sacrifice. And if God be for me, then you let this turn ablaze. And so he defeats these 250 prophets of Baal by himself. What happens the next day? Here comes Jezebel. She's after me. He turns into a paranoid, delusional mess. He's running around. There's this woman's going to get me. The dude has just wiped out the prophets of Baal, and now all of a sudden he's hiding in a creek bottom. Why? Because there was this tremendous victory, and, and now this, distur- this discouragement comes. He was on the mountaintop, and now he's in the valley. He forgot what God was doing the day before, and now he's back to just plain old Elijah the prophet, the human. And the secret in all of this is hearing the word of the Lord. God now is going to speak into Abram's life. He's saying, look, I want to tell you what's going to happen, Abram. I don't want you to worry about this. One of the most beautiful things about humankind is the unique capacity that we have that no other species of creature on the face of the earth has, and that is the capacity for speech, to use words in syntax, to put them together, to link them as thought. That also was created by God. He gave us that ability. We were created in his image to be able to speak and to be spoken to. And so here comes the first time in all of scripture where thus says the Lord is in essence in view. And he says in verse one, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
And God spoke to him and says, Abram, fear not. Fear not, for I am your shield, God says, and your great reward. And one of the most beautiful things is that God wants to talk to us. God loves you tonight, and God wants to speak to you. He cares very deeply about the things that matter to you. Matter of fact, he cares more than you care about what you care about. Did you know that? That's how good he is. He knows what you have need of before you know what you have need of. So much so that he reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you might want to watch the sparrows and check out the lilies of the field because they're kind of not doing much of anything and I take care of them. God wants to speak into our lives. That's why that 138th Psalm is so important. You have magnified your, magnified your word above your name, Lord. What you say really is who you are. It's one of the most beautiful things about the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Amen? You see, we have the written word and we have the living word. And both communicate to us. God wants to speak to you through the written word. And he communicated through the living word. What does John 1.14 say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that amazing? God so wants to speak into your life that he became one of us. And through him, as he spoke to the disciples, he communicated all this depth of truth. And so Abram is getting a preview of this. The word of the Lord comes to him. And so he he says, look, I, I am the word. I'm also the vision. Don't worry about this vision that you've had that's from you. You worry about the vision that comes from me. And oh, by the way, you are actually safe in me. I'm your shield. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to reward you for faithfulness. You see, sometimes we forget all that when we're having an emotional moment. When we're going through something and we don't quite understand why the Lord's allowing it in our lives. Abram's sitting there and and you can almost... You can almost hear maybe the Lord speaking to him. Some of the things that we will hear from the Lord himself when he comes some 2,000 years later. You ever wonder why the Pharisees were so upset when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am? You see, that was the word spoken into Abram's life to encourage Abram to trust in I am. And tonight you have to trust in I am. I have to trust in I am. He is who he says he is. When he said, I am the light of the world, he meant that. When he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he meant that. He's communicating. He's speaking into our time. 
When he said, I am the door, he meant that. When he said, I am the good shepherd, he meant that. He he wasn't just mouthing words that seemed to us to be fantastic. He was speaking truth into our world and consequently into our lives through his life. And he is the word. That's why John 1.1 says what it says. In the beginning, the word. And we know because scripture tells us that before there was a world, there was the word, amen? He was the word before there was a world. And so the one that's speaking to Abram, and he's going to say something that we need to hear. Before Abram ever was born, God had Abram's life under control. He's numbered your days. He doesn't have to count the hairs on my head. It doesn't, that's not that big a number. But he has. He knows my days. He knows my coming and my going. He knew my days before there were yet any, Scripture says. When we think of Christ as the word, he already knows everything there is to know. He's already been where we're going to go in that sense. You ever wondered why he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega? I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. And he's also everything in between the first and the last. Because before he was the great I am to Abram, He was already the word in heaven. He was the first. And he's still going to be here at the end. That's one of the beautiful stories of the book of Revelation. Behold, I am the first and the last. I am the one who is alive and I live forevermore. You see, Abraham was being encouraged by God to trust in the word. Word of the Lord. And so what does he say to to Abram to get him to trust? He says, fear not. He says, don't be afraid. Notice what he doesn't say. Would you please look at this very carefully? Abraham, you wimpy punk. You completely gutless, spineless, faithless, How could you possibly miss that I am who I say I am? No, he doesn't chastise Abram. He doesn't say, you have no right to have those feelings. What are you doing? Didn't I just save you yesterday? No, God actually acknowledges the fact that Abram's got some issues. That Abram's struggling a little bit with his faith. That Abram doesn't understand what God's going to do. And God understands that Abram doesn't know what God's going to do. Can I tell you that it's okay if you ask God tough questions? He really doesn't mind. He's okay with you asking him tough questions. So when you don't know, don't pretend you do. Say, God, I don't know. I'm not sure. 
I would really love for you to speak into my time right now, into my life right now, because I'm uncertain. Are you brave enough in the Lord to ask God tough questions? Are you able to admit that you don't know? Are you able to say you don't have enough faith? Are you even able to say, Lord, I'm not sure that I really trust you? Now, while I'm not suggesting you should stay there, neither does Scripture, I am telling you that the Lord is able to come and speak into your life exactly what he's speaking into Abram's life here. Jeff, don't be afraid. Fear not. I actually really do have a plan here. And to that end, Abraham is waiting for God to say something to him, much like those fear-not promises that we have in the book of Isaiah. And they're wonderful. Jot them down and read them. Because God doesn't want you to walk around in fear, but he does understand that occasionally you're going to get fearful. If you have children and you're in this room, there have been times in your life when you have lain awake Staring at the ceiling going, dear God, please keep your hand on my kids. Amen? If you are married, you have had times when you have had things go on in your marriage where you're going, dear God, you need to step into this situation because I don't know how this is going to work out. Amen? See, God understands those things. And he's not mad at you because you don't understand. But he is waiting for you to turn to the one who says into your time and your existence, fear not. Jeff, don't be afraid. Don't let those emotions drive you unless they drive you to me. To fall in the lap of Jesus is a great place to land, amen? You see, his I am is actually perfectly adequate for my I am not. I've learned as I've gotten older, there's a lot of things that I can honestly say, I need to grow in that. Lord, I don't have that one yet. I really need you to speak your fear not into my situation right now. Sometimes the enormity of the ministry here is frightening. Let me get a little confession here. There are times when I, I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like, oh, Lord. There are thousands of people that go to this church and they're listening to me. Did I actually say that correctly? And the enemy's going, no, you're a complete idiot. <laughs> and of course you didn't say. And you know, you start to think on those things. You dwell on it, it's like, oh no, I messed up. And that person who came to me after service, I didn't say the right thing. And what if they perish, God? What if they don't get the gospel? What's going to happen to them? You see, it's in that moment that I need to hear, fear not. Jeff, you're not God. And you, you probably did mess up. But if the whole world's resting on your shoulders, it's not going to go too good. Amen? I need to hear fear not. It's a scary thing. 
Trust God to speak fear not into your life. He's the only one that can really protect us. He's the only one that can provide for us. And he is the only one who's bound to keep his promises. They're his promises. They're not mine. They're his. I'm the recipient of them. Just like Abram. And to that end, God says, you know what? I'm actually fine with you asking me some tough questions. I'm okay with that. You see, at this time, Abram and Sarah, they, he says it. Look, I, we're, we don't have any kids. There are no kids in our life. Whole family, think about it for a second. Lot's not exactly a shining example of faith, amen? The rest of his family are 500 miles away in, in Haran. He's alone. He's already taken Sarah down to Egypt. That didn't work out so well. Well, she's my sister. The dude gets rich, comes back, and he immediately goes into war mode. And now he's sitting there saying, oh man, this is no life to live. How did I end up here? And yet God had already promised him back in chapter 13, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now, I don't know about your house, but somehow as you're wiping with the duster thing, more dust comes in on the other side. There's a lot of dust on this earth. And so Abram begins to think, it's like, I'm supposed to be a blessing to the whole earth. Look, I have no kids. I don't know how this is going to work out, God. And so he gets the most basic lesson that all of us have to learn. It's that school of faith. It's God's school of faith in which he instructs every last one of us. I have met not one Christian that ultimately has to go to this school. God's will is accomplished in God's time and it's accomplished God's way. And you can't speed him up. All your needling of God does not make him move faster. Not that he doesn't want you to pray, by the way. But he does things in his time. Abraham was simply looking at the situation, trying to come up with an earthly solution to it, wasn't he? Here's what Abram's doing. He's going, honey, do we have any kids? I didn't think so. God! What is up? Pretty natural response, don't you think? It's what I would do. I'm kind of a linear spreadsheet guy. I'm like, okay, let's see line. Line three is empty. That's the kid line. And so I automatically start to think this way. God hates me. 
or somehow I've displeased the Lord and I've fallen out of his grace. Anybody else do these things? Or is it only me? (laughs) I do these things. Well, there's somebody in my family who sinned. Remember Jesus faced that one too. Who sinned? His mom, his dad, his aunt, his uncle, his cousin? What happened? You see, we start looking to human solutions. And because we can't figure one out, God fell off the throne. Because we can't understand how he's going to do it, we don't think he can do it. We've got to be careful because God's will is accomplished God's way in God's time. He may be telling you yes. He may be telling you no. He may be telling you wait. And so Abram was looking around instead of looking up. Now, it's not a bad thing to plan. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing to do your best. But at the end of the day, you have to rest and settle into faith. I have to look to God to fulfill his promises. I have to put it back on him. He made the promise. And just as Romans 8 says, look, our, our, our heirship, if you will, the fact that we are the heirs of God depends on sonship. And that sonship depends on Jesus. We are trusting Christ to be joint heirs with him. Amen? I'm not a joint heir with Christ because I did something. I'm a joint heir with Christ because I received by grace through faith the gift of God, which was Christ dying on Calvary's cross, which is exactly what the elements of communion represent. I am an heir because I received a gift. I'm not an heir because I fulfilled the plan of God. I simply said yes to what he mapped out. Christ came because that's what Christ wanted to do. And so God just dramatically assures Abram that one day you're going you're gonna to be that father and you're going to have so many descendants that you're not going to be able to count them. And the truth is, even when life is dark, you can still look up and see the stars, amen? God's trying to speak into our time. And it's so true, and I have no idea who said this. I heard it decades ago. When the outlook is bleak, you need to change your outlook into an uplook. When when you're staring at the world and you're seeing things through the world's eyes, when your emotions are coming in hard, you need to look up. And so while Abram didn't get a lesson in astronomy, it boils down to believing God. And so God gives him an object lesson. He takes him outside and he says, look up. Now in the modern catalog of astronomy that we use today, To the naked eye, at any point in time in the night sky, generally speaking, it's believed the average person could look up and see about 30,000 stars. A vast majority of the objects that you view in heaven are actually not stars, 
but they are in fact galaxies. And so you're actually looking at those 30,000 objects in the sky, many of which are actual galaxies. Now with modern astronomy, what Abraham's looking, he's going, "Ah, that's a lot of stars. But what he didn't know is what God was really trying to communicate to him. Abraham, you can't even see all that's there. So when we turn to our day and time, it's believed that there are 10 to the 24th power. That is a septillion stars in the heavens, in the known universe. That's 10 with 24 zeros after it. How are you saying, Abraham, I just want you to know, there's going to be more people that are going to descend from you than you can possibly imagine. So he says, just look up at the stars. And remember, Abram didn't have smog. Abram did not have an ambient light problem. He, he was not wandering around, oh, we need to wait for it to get dark. He could look up and he saw the blanket of the Milky Way over his head. And he says, wow, God. Wow. You made a promise to me and it's on you to keep it. I'm going to trust you for that. I'm going to rest in that. So important are these verses. It is quoted three times in the New Testament. They're in Galatians 3 6, Romans 4 3, James 3 20 or 2 23. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What, what was accounted? What was it that Abraham did? Well, it actually wasn't what he did in the sense of doing. It was simply that he believed God. But here in verse 6, we read it, of course, in English. And depending on your translation, there, there can be as many as nine or ten words in it in a modern English translation. But what it actually says in Hebrew is Abram believed God was righteous. Five words. In other words, Abram believed the character of God was so holy that he could do nothing else but act absolutely appropriately in all circumstances at all times according to his own holiness. Abram believed God was righteous. Abram didn't believe in Abram. Abram didn't just trust his emotions. Abram did not just trust his mind. Abram believed God was righteous. And because God was righteous, he was bound to do exactly what he said he would do. That's why it's quoted those three times in the New Testament. It is the perfect example of our response that we should have when our emotions get stirred up, when we don't know what's going on, when when we're not quite positive about how God's going to work something out, we need to believe God is righteous. Righteous. 
He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't leave pieces out. He doesn't do things simply because he has no other choice. What this actually means to you and I tonight is this. Abram said, Amen, God. Amen. So be it. If you say it, I believe it. You see, this passage is perfect for us in our modern world. Because from our salvation to our sanctification, we are not saved by what we do. And we are not made holy by what we do. We're not going to be glorified by what we do. I am saved by the blood of the Lamb. I'm saved by faith. And that faith results in God's grace, which brings to me his forgiveness, gives me his justification, which begins my maturation and my sanctification and one day my glorification. Every last bit of your journey with God begins with God and ends with God. The whole thing's on him. You have to believe him for it. You have to trust him for the steps. You have to walk in it, but make no mistake. He's the one that's guiding it. He's the one that's directing it. He's the one that's empowering it. He's the one that's given you the faith to believe in the first place. He is the one that's bound to start the journey. He is the one that is bound to finish the journey. We need to take Abram's advice. Abram believed God was righteous. God doesn't have like a subset of his being. God doesn't have bad days. You see, our emotions sometimes lead us to believe that God might possibly be having a bad day. He doesn't love me anymore. Matter of fact, he hates my guts. And here's why we think that. Because we were displeasing to God. We did something that was wrong. We knew it was wrong before we did it, and we did it anyway. So here's what happens. The enemy grabs your emotions and pulls you into that circumstance. And instead of God being righteous, God's just mad. Can I tell you that God is righteous when he's angry? God is never not righteous. So when he sees you mess up, he's righteous. When he chastises you, he does so in righteousness. He's incapable of being anything other than righteous. He'll never overreact. He'll never underreact. He will be perfect 100% of the time. So Abram says, I believe God. And because of that, check out what the New Testament says. Because of one thing, and see this very plainly, because of one thing, Abram believed God, and that belief was accounted unto him for righteousness. 
That's why we use him as a type of our salvation in Christ. That's why we know the only thing one need to do to be saved is to believe. That's why Jesus repeatedly used that exact thought. It is enough that you believe. To them who believe on him, to them he gave. Why? There's some beautiful terms that are used here. It's the gospel really in five words. You, you put your whole weight on the promises of God. You see, if you put your whole weight on the promises of the state of California or your whole weight on the promises of the United States of America, they're going to be good for a few things, but they're not going to be perfect. But if you put your whole weight on the promises of God, you will never be let down. You will never fall because you put your weight on the promises of God. And so Abram believed God. That's the beginning of the gospel, by the way. It's the first step. And it was then, as it says in the New Testament, accounted or counted to or is counted on, made on your behalf for you, Christ's righteousness was placed into your account. You were not righteous. He is righteous. Abraham believed God was righteous. And so the righteousness that God has in Christ Jesus as Lord has now been placed in your account. That's how come you're saved. You've been justified. You've been judicially pronounced as taken care of, redeemed, debt paid. All of your crimes have been covered, but it's not because you took care of it. You did not do anything to warrant that. The righteousness that is in Christ Jesus was taken from Jesus and was put directly into your account because you believed God. So when you trust Christ, you're not trusting in your own works, for by the works of the flesh, no one is justified, amen? You're not made right in the eyes of God the Father because you did something. You believe that Christ is righteousness. His righteousness was put in your account. And because when God looks at your account, all he sees is Jesus. Hallelujah, amen? Because if he sees any of you, you're in trouble. Because if he sees some of you, that's not going to go very well. So Abram believed God is righteous. And so because of that, all of the righteousness of Christ God's own son is placed directly into your account. It solves the problem that that Isaiah 53 puts forth. For all we like sheep have gone astray. Every last one of us has turned unto our own way. Amen? He has laid on the Lord the iniquity of us all. Have you ever thought about that? 
Abram believed God was righteous. And so when your sins were placed on Jesus at the cross, every one of them was taken care of. The righteousness of Christ by believing in him has melted away your unrighteousness. That's why when someone asks me, well, you know, what do I have to do? You have to believe. That's what you have to do. It's not faith plus works. It's faith produces works. It's not because you add something to the righteousness of Christ. No, you get the full righteousness of Christ by believing. Paul said we believe. And because of that, God deals with us or imputes to us. He takes all of the righteousness necessary to cleanse us and places it fully in our account. And so these verses basically... Five words take care of three chapters in the New Testament. You see, so the answer to Abraham's doubt, the answer to his emotions, the answer to his wondering how God was going to take care of these things, the answer to the questions that Abram is asking, saying, Lord, look, we don't have any kids. What What are you thinking? Is answered in five words. Abram believed God was righteous. Amen? Trust him. Trust him. When, When those times come, when you're lying awake at night, you can't figure out how God's gonna do what God needs to do. Rest on his promises. Trust that he is who he says he is. Scripture says he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you, says the Lord. You can take that promise to the bank. That's what faith does. Faith acts on the promises of God. And so tonight I'm going to ask John... Sarah to come back up. I'm going to ask some of the pastors to come forward. Just be available to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you've got a problem trusting God tonight. Maybe you can honestly say, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I, I just don't know. I don't know about this faith thing. I need more faith. You know that when the disciples were troubled... Jesus said, look, I'm not praying for you to be delivered from the trouble. I'm praying that you might have more faith. Faith in the storm. Faith to allow God to work in the trial and the tribulation for your good. Faith that if he puts you in the crucible, as we saw this morning, that ultimately he's melting you down so he can see himself in you. And so that others can see himself. See him in you. But you may stay in the fire a little longer than you want to. Don't despise that. God's at work doing something. You need to just simply trust God. And here's what's going to happen when you do.
you're, you're going to one day go, he was faithful. Believe God. Was and is and always shall be righteous. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together. If you have not yet participated at the Lord's table and tonight you feel like you want to go and partake of communion, I want to just remind you of a couple of things. Number one, that is for the body of Christ, is for we who have believed God is righteous. And we've invited Christ into our life. It represents his broken body and his shed blood. And I would ask that you would treat it respectfully and with holiness and reverence. So when you go, simply ask the Lord to prepare your heart and remind yourself that it's only because of the cross that any of us will ever be able to approach a holy God. And that's a free gift that was given to us. So go and, and speak those things to the Lord that you need to say to him. Cleanse your heart, your mind before you go and allow God to do something fresh. For the rest of us as we worship, if you need prayer, please just come forward. Don't wait. Don't sit around and wonder. It's good to kind of talk some of these things out sometimes with somebody who's probably been there. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the beautiful promise that we find here in the life of Abram that he believed you. And because of that, the righteousness that is you was counted to him. It was accounted, it was imputed to him, given to him. And Lord, we thank you that we come by that same faith to your throne of grace. That we have to trust and rest in you. And we pray tonight that, God, maybe there are some that are struggling with faith. Maybe they simply have not learned really to trust you. I want to pray for us tonight, Lord, that you would increase our faith. God, increase my faith. Help us to leave you in, in charge of all of our circumstances and situations. Help us to rest while we trust. Help us to work at what we can change. But Lord, to never doubt you. Help us to not be overcome by fear or overcome by emotions. But Lord, when those things come, help us to turn our eyes unto you, Jesus. Help us to look full in your wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name.